Good morning. It's really good to be with y'all this morning. It's my first time out here at Grace Church, first time in Southampton, and it's been just a joy to spend a few days in the area and looking at the leaves and the community out here. And, and you guys have been so welcoming, and I just really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, we're going to read today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, again, that's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Here's the word of the Lord. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when but when But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the great catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought the boats to land, They left everything and followed him. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are just thankful to be here to worship together as a community. And we pray now that you would send your spirit and open our eyes and our hearts to hear your word. You'd open my mouth to speak clearly and you would empower my words uh, by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, if you looked in the bulletin, you might have noticed that um, my wife, Karen, and I have been in New York City for the past uh, nine years. We actually work with our denominational mission board called Mission to the World. We've been with them for about 22 years. Um, Primarily for the first 10 of those years, we worked out in uh, Eastern Europe and Ukraine and Slovakia. But for about the last nine years, we've worked in New York City among South Asian immigrants who are coming into the city. Uh, These immigrants are primarily from the country of Bangladesh. Uh, Some are from India, Pakistan, but the vast majority are from Bangladesh. Uh, We spend a lot of time trying to get to know this community, trying to figure out what their needs were. Um, And one of the things we figured out is that they really needed help with English, right? And Karen and I, having lived overseas, we know the struggles of life in another culture. You're trying to figure out how do you live, and here are these immigrants in New York City just really struggling. And we wanted to help them thrive, we wanted to help them succeed in the city, and we wanted to be able to share with them our love for Christ and the gospel of Jesus with them. So we started a nonprofit so we could work out, reach out to this community, and over about three years, it took about a three-year period, but God really just opened the doors into this South Asian community, so much so that now we have just more students than we can handle. We have a waiting list for our tutoring classes. We have a waiting list for our English classes. We have a waiting list for everything. Um, 
And we, in the course of these past five years, we've seen a number of our students come to faith. We've seen this community grow more tight, tight together, and this community adopt us and love on us and care for us. Now, if you didn't know this, this, this community of South Asians, they're, they're Muslims. And when Karen and I first began working with these Muslims, we, we had no idea what Muslims believe, really. We'd done a little research, a little bit of reading, but we hadn't really worked with Muslims in the past. And one of the first things we began to notice is that for many Muslims, they go to great lengths to look like Muhammad. They follow the traditions and the practices of Muhammad that they find in the Hadith and the Sunnah. And these are basically the the words of Muhammad that have been recorded, as well as the, um, the writings or different sayings and writings that have been written down. And these sayings and writings instruct the entire Muslim, worldwide Muslim community in how they should live. And they're all based on, Muhammad said this, Muhammad said that, Muhammad wrote this, and that's what directs all of their life. Um, and you would think, you're thinking, oh, maybe it's like us as Christians, but it's really not, because for the average Muslim person, Every aspect of their life is dictated in detail for them. You want to know what hand, how do you eat your food? Well, you eat your food with your right hand because that's what Muhammad did. You, you need to have a red beard because Muhammad had a red beard. It needs to be this long because Muhammad had, his beard was this long. This is how you pray because this is how Muhammad prayed. Everything is geared towards doing what Muhammad did. And that is for the average Muslim person, that is their discipleship. It's to look and act as much as possible like Muhammad. Today, though, we're going to look at this passage in Luke through the lens of discipleship. And I'm borrowing some of this material today. I'm borrowing it from a guy named Albert Shem, who wrote a curriculum on discipleship um, that I'm going through with my small group. So some of these principles I'm talking about come directly from his material. I just want to put that out there. Uh, so let's start with the question today. What is discipleship? What's discipleship? You know, the idea of discipleship, it's a very old concept. You know anything about history, you can go back to the Greeks, all right? Aristotle, Plato, Plato, Euripides, all these people had disciples that they trained. And that disciple relationship was primarily between a student and a master or a student and a teacher. In Judaism, and early Judaism really did not practice this kind of discipleship, all right? It wasn't until later on, into the first century, maybe a little bit before that, and going forward, that discipleship became a big part of Judaism. You know, we see this, right? When we look at the scriptures, right? We can read John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Um, every major rabbi in Judaism had a discipleship school where they tra trained up the next generation of Jewish young men, at that time, only Jewish young men, uh, to be leaders in their communities. <clears throat> the Bible Gateway says that discipleship denoted the learning process, but it also meant that disciples adopted the philosophy, the practices, and the way of life of the teacher, just like we were talking about with Muhammad. It wasn't just the learning process. It was trying to be just like your rabbi or just like your master. So as a first-century Jewish disciple, you completely and willingly submitted to the authority of the rabbi you follow, right? If you ask to join this rabbi, to follow him, to study under him, that was one of your first agreements. You were submitting to his authority in your life, over all of your life, not just a part of it, but all of your life. You surrendered your understanding of God's word to follow your, your rabbi's view of scripture 
and you adopted as much as possible all of the life characteristics of your rabbi. As a disciple of your rabbi, you didn't engage with what God's word said, but with rather how it was lived, right? We see this in scripture all the time when they're, they're, the Pharisees are debating back and forth, right, of these minute details of the law. They're not arguing over the law. They're arguing over the actual application of the law in your day-to-day life. Because for the first century disciple, righteousness, and hear this, righteousness was primarily based on behavior rather than it being an issue of the heart. Righteousness was primarily based on behavior rather than being an issue of the heart. You can see this clearly in Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. For example, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Right? Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people so that they can see it. He goes on to list several ways the hypocrites, that is, the, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, make a show of their outward behavior. And the same is true today, right? If you, are, if you were in New York City and you came across a Jewish disciple of a rabbi or, or a Muslim, they are both in their outward behavior, in their, in their almost every aspect of their life, trying to imitate the rabbi that they're following or Muhammad who they're following. But what about us as Christians? What about us as Christians? Does discipleship mean that we must look like Jesus and the way he lived, the way he spoke, what he ate, how he dressed? Now, I'm, I'm guessing most of you here are thinking, well, no, we don't, we don't do that. But why don't we do that? Jewish people do that. Muslim people do that. Why as Christians don't we do that? And the simple answer, it comes down to this. We know we don't do this because nothing in the epistles or the writings of the apostles calls us to emulate Jesus' outward actions and behavior. Now, what I mean by outward actions, we can't read in the scriptures and say, hey, Jesus, Jesus ate fish for breakfast every morning. You should eat fish for breakfast every morning. Jesus wore a robe or a gown um, around town. That's what you should wear as well. In these other religions like Islam and Judaism, when you follow your rab- rabbi, you're doing those kinds of things. But in the New Testament, discipleship doesn't mean the outward aspects of our master that we're following. It's something bigger and something better. One of the best definitions of discipleship I've, I've read recently is by Albert Shem. He says, a disciple is simply an apprentice of Jesus who is actively engaged in learning how to live by the grace of God under God's rule and authority all toward ever-growing conformity, conformity to the master. There's nothing here in this definition about dress, styles, what you can eat, or beards, lengths, or colors. But the idea of growing into conformity to Jesus has more to do with issues of the heart than outward behavior. Now, please don't leave here thinking I'm saying to you, hey, discipleship, you don't have to worry about what you actually do, how you actually live. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that for the Christian, the focus first and foremost is on heart change on applying the scriptures to your heart, and that's where our our change in behavior comes from. It doesn't come from just following Jesus dressed like this, Jesus did this, I should do this. Jesus, throughout his teachings, throughout his teachings in the gospels, he's constantly coming back, not to the areas of the law and saying, don't do this or don't do that, but to how does that law apply to your heart and daily life? Luke paints this scene 
of the crowds, right? In chapter five, he paints the scene of the crowds crushing in on Jesus, so much so that Jesus needs to get into the boat to have a little space between himself and the crowds in order to teach and preach the word of God. I want you not to miss this in the, in the text, right? There's a little nugget here. How does Luke view Jesus's teaching, right? He says that Jesus is not just teaching. He is actually teaching the word of God. His words are the word of God. The disciples in the crowds were clamoring to hear his words. They wanted to know what he had to say. They wanted to be near Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus because there was something about Jesus that was different than the other rabbis in his time. And the scripture tells us that what was set Jesus apart from the others is that he taught with an authority and a power that the other rabbis did not have. Let me stop here for a second, though, and ask this question. Um, how does this describe your, I'm sorry, let me stop here for a second and ask, does this describe your life? Are we pursuing the teaching of Jesus? Are you seeking after Jesus daily? Are you reading his word? Are you wanting to read his word? If you're like me, to be honest, it's not always easy to find time to learn from Jesus, to sit and hear his words, to study and to know his words. You know, we're busy and distracted people, and those things pull at us in many different directions, and often they can lead us away from his word. And how do we know Jesus? How can we know Jesus? We have to know Jesus through his word and through his spirit that he's given. They go hand in hand. And at times, if we're honest with one another, our hearts can be cold towards Scripture, right? We can be in these periods of time where we just don't want to read the Bible. We're not, it's just not hitting my heart, not hitting me where I am. And that's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to be there. You just don't want to stay there, right? You don't want to stay there because in order to know Jesus, you have to know his word. If that describes you today, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to, to press on even when you don't feel like reading, or listening to the Word of God. Pray for God to invigorate your heart through the Holy Spirit, to give you a love, a deep love for His Word, because in His Word is where true life is found. You know, early in this service, just a few minutes ago, actually, we read John 15, where we learned that we can't abide in Jesus without knowing and learning His Word. Think about that. Through that whole verse, he's saying, abide in my word, abide in me, abide in me, abide in my word. My word has set you apart. My word has cleansed you, right? If you want to be my disciples, abide in me, abide in me, abide in my love. The only way we can abide in Jesus, to abide in his love, is through his word. We have to know our master. We have to know our disciple. And the only way that happens, primarily happens, is through reading and knowing his word. Discipleship, at its core, involves learning from Jesus. In the first century, Judaism discipleship did not take place in a classroom with a book, you know, sitting at a desk, right? Discipleship, as described in Scripture, involved the disciples living in community together while following Jesus from place to place, wrestling with his word, wrestling with his word to understand how to live life in under the authority of Jesus, Today, we would say that discipleship is life-on-life -life relationships, life-on-life -life relationships. We do life together. It involves long-term friendships, going through all of life together while keeping Jesus in the center, even when life gets hard, even when we're struggling, even when we don't feel like reading his word, praying, coming to church, 
receiving communion, we as disciples are being called to keep Jesus in the center of what we do, even when we're not feeling like it. You know, Pastor Mark told me that uh, many of you at Grace Church are involved in grace groups. You know, you're, you're already sharing life together. You're grappling with the word of God. You're memorizing it and you're applying it. You know, and if you're part of these great grace groups, lean into them. Develop deep commitments to one another as you learn together at the feet of Jesus. You know, praise God that you're already part of this and take that and use those groups to deepen relationships with one another. There's nothing like having close, deep relationships where you share the victories, the struggles, and the sorrows of life with people who really love you and care for you. That doesn't normally happen in the world around us, guys. I think most of us know that. It happens in deep relationships. And as the church of Christ, we're being called to come into relationship through discipleship with one another to support, to encourage, to bless one another. Look, learning from Jesus never stops this side of heaven. But learning has a purpose. We are learning to know Jesus so that we can follow him and obey him. When Jesus had finished teaching, he said to Simon Peter, or he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets. This is not a request of Jesus. As the master, it's a command. As the teacher, it's the command to the pupil. Do this, do this, Peter. Put down your nets out in the deep water. But how does, how does Peter or Simon respond to Jesus' command? You know, Simon and his colleagues, his friends, had spent all night fishing and had caught nothing. He's exhausted and still working into the early hours, mending his nets, washing his nets. But he doesn't lecture Jesus as an expert fisherman. And he was, right? He was an expert fisherman. He doesn't say to Jesus, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about here. Um, you're wrong. We're not going to catch anything. Let's just move on. There's nothing to see here. Simon knew there was no fish to be caught. He, he'd spent all night trying to catch fish. He caught nothing. It wasn't even, a t even the right time of day to fish. Most from, what I, from some of the reading I read recently, it said that most fishermen in, at, that, in that, at that time period fished at night because of the kind of nets they had. The fish could see their nets in the daytime, and so they needed to fish at night. He doesn't tell Jesus, Jesus, stay in your lane. You know, this isn't your authority. You don't know what you're talking about over here. He does, though, right? Simon does, though, seem to be a little perplexed, maybe even frustrated with Jesus. You can hear in Peter's words just a deep tiredness maybe a feeling of just incredulousness at Jesus' command. But what does he do? He still obeys, saying, Master, at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word, I will let down the nets. Peter doesn't argue. He doesn't debate. He simply obeys. Jesus wants and expects obedience from his disciples. And the bottom line is that discipleship that doesn't lead to greater obedience is not true discipleship. You know, I know if you're like me, and, you know, and I've, I've been a Christian now for 40 years, and there are times in my life where I want to look at the Word of God and I want to approach the Word of God like it's a buffet, right? So maybe, I don't know if you have buffets out here or not, but in the city you have lots of places with buffets, right? And you, wanna, you look at the, the Word of God as a buffet, you walk in, you go, oh, I like this teaching of Jesus, I'm going to take that. I'm going to live that out. That's good. But oh, this teaching over here, this is hard. I don't really understand that teaching. I'm not going to obey that. I'm not going to follow that. Yet Jesus is clear, brothers and sisters, that you can't be called a disciple 
if you're not obeying his words. He is the master. We don't get to choose what we obey. We see this clearly, right? Clearly in scripture, this is presented to us. Later in uh, chapter six of Luke, we get this story here where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug, down, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus makes it clear we are to obey his word. And more than that, in obedience to his word, we're laying this deep, strong foundation in our master. If all you do is pay lip service to Jesus' teachings, then you're not living as a disciple. Discipleship requires daily submitting ourselves, our expertise, our plans, our wills, our wisdom, our emotions to the wisdom and expertise of the master. Disciples that learn from Jesus and obey Jesus establish a firm foundation for a lifelong journey of following Jesus to wherever and to whatever he calls for us. Here's the thing, though. As we walk in obedience to Jesus' words, our discipleship must flow or be infused with grace, with grace. When I first became a believer or a follower of Jesus, I was involved in a great Christian ministry down south in Georgia uh, that was good in so many ways. I came to faith out in college through this ministry and was deeply involved in it and had a huge impact upon my life that still bears witness to all of those two or three years that I was involved in that ministry. In that ministry, it emphasized growing as a disciple through the principles we're talking about today. I was trained in so many things that still exert a big impact on my life. I was trained in evangelism. I was trained in discipleship. I was trained in how to give a testimony. I was just trained in lots of different things that have greatly influenced me even now. My disciple leader and my community were fantastic, but in one big way, we really missed the mark. And it's a pretty big way, honestly. Um, as a campus ministry, we tended to be legalistic, which led to thinking we were a little better than the other groups on campus, right? We were a little bit more spiritual. We were a little bit more holy. We were a little bit just better than them. We failed in aspects of our discipleship because we missed the grace that Jesus offers, not just in our justification, but also in our sanctification. Our sanctification, brothers and sisters, is all of grace as well. We don't enter into a relationship. We're, not, we're justified by grace, by faith through grace, but we live in grace day to day. We operate through grace day to day. And as a young college student, I missed that somewhere along the way. Peter was wise enough. Sorry. Here's the, oh, sorry, lost my spot. <laughs> In Luke 5, when 
when Simon sees the miraculous catch of fish and the boats begin to sink, he falls at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter was wise enough to know that something miraculous had just taken place and it really begins to undo him. He's confronted with his sinful heart, his sinful attitude, but even more so, he's confronted with the power and the authority of Jesus. And all he can do is beg Jesus to leave him. Go away from me. Get away from me. The amazing thing here, though, is Jesus doesn't leave him. Jesus doesn't, not only doesn't leave him, he leans into Peter. He doesn't send Peter away. Jesus doesn't walk away. He leans into Peter's struggle with his sin. He doesn't condemn Simon. He doesn't rebuke him. He simply says to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Simon, I will not leave you, nor will you leave me. You are accepted and secure in me. You are safe with me, Simon. It's still early in Jesus' ministry, and Simon doesn't understand that these words of Jesus are costly words. Jesus' acceptance of sinners, like Simon, like us, will cost him his very life on the cross, crucified not just for Simon's sins, right, but for ours as well. As discipleship leads us closer to Jesus, don't lose sight of the grace extended to us in Christ, that grace extended to us in Christ. Don't forget this, as you mature as disciples, we are here because of the grace we've received in Jesus and that same grace is the grace we live and operate in each day. Be willing, be willing, be more than willing to extend that same grace you've received, that you've experienced to your wife or to your husband, to your child, maybe to your neighbor, and dare I say, even our enemies. As Albert Shem says, the call to discipleship is not just intellectual enlightenment, or moral transformation. It's a gracious call to be with Jesus, unworthy as we are, yet accepted, sinful, yet loved. The last thing I want us to see today is that discipleship gives us a mission. This should not come as a surprise to us. In verse 10, Jesus commissions the disciples to be, as NIV says, fishers of men, or as the ESV says, catchers of men. This should sound quite familiar because it echoes what the Great Commission firmly commands, right? You know this, I think, and if you're in these great groups, you definitely know this, that in Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. In this commission, Jesus makes it clear that disciples would be the agents to lead the nations to himself, and we are to make disciples. That is our mission. But how do we go about doing that? That's the big question, right? How do we go about doing that? It won't be done through our own strength, our own wisdom, our own power, but it will be done in the strength and authority of Jesus' power and in Jesus' name. God will bring about his great salvation of people. That's the promise of scripture. This is God's doing, it's not our doing. So that every nation, tribe, and tongue 
can hear Jesus' faithful words of do not be afraid, and that we as his disciples can hear, well done, my faithful and good servant. Will you be the means that God uses to call Long Island, Southampton, East End to Jesus? Let me conclude with these thoughts. Some of you here today, and you're not at the stage of discipleship. You're still searching out, who is Jesus? Who is this person? And how does he impact my life? Let me encourage you to keep exploring and learning. And maybe reach out. If you have not already done so, reach out to someone here at Grace Church about the one who can forgive your sin and receive you into his kingdom through faith. Some of you are here today, and you may have several reasons not to obey Jesus. Jesus' call to make disciples. Maybe you're too busy, distracted. Maybe you think you're not a good fisherman. You're not good at evangelism. That doesn't describe me. I can't do that. This mission can be scary, and it can be a little overwhelming. But I hope you will consider the words of Jesus here and take his call to discipleship seriously. It may cost you something to commit to discipleship, but Jesus is better and more valuable than anything you might lose. Many of you have already, or maybe some of you, are already in grace groups. As you meet in your grace groups, don't forget this call to discipleship. This is a call to make disciples, not just to nurture a private life of obedience and faith. It's not just a call to nurture your private faith and your, your private obedience. As you grow in discipleship, don't lose sight of the mission Jesus has given the church. I know it can be scary to step out with Jesus into this mission of making disciples, but remember who you serve. He's not the great fisherman, or he is the great fisherman who can call fish from a desolate lake at the command of his word. All authority, all the power belongs to Jesus, and we are simply his instruments that he uses to bring the nations to himself. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you've called us by name, that you've written our names on the palm of your hand, that you have given us the gift of your spirit that you make us more and more into the image of your son. We thank you that you don't want to leave us as we are, but you want us to grow deeply and to be rooted deeply in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to think wisely, help us to think carefully, and help us not just to be doers of the word, or not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Lord, speak to us this day through these words, and call us to a deep, deep relationship with yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.